Late on a Friday afternoon in the depths of a New York winter, I find myself in a place called District 3 Youth and Adult Centre, a spacious facility in northeast Brooklyn that offers assistance to the community in a variety of ways. As always, Monsignor James Kelly, the man at the centre of this episode of Centrepiece Said Why, is a magnet for both hustle and for bustle. Everywhere is kitted out against the virus. Plexiglass barriers sit between advisors and clients at every desk. Hand sanitizers abound, face masks are mandatory, and social distance markings are precisely spaced across the floor. As I set up my field recording equipment, to the hum of air filters, the good father is fielding yet another phone call. Well, we we know nothing new. In other words, the uh... All right. okay, so you qualify for that too. Welcome to the life and times of Catholic priest and Padre for the poor, Father James Kelly. This is Centerpiece NY with Paul Finnegan, your presenter and producer. Centerpiece NY is a podcast that traces the lives of long-standing members of the Irish community in New York. Our centerpiece for this episode is from County Limerick. He came to New York in 1960 and has been embedded in the fabric of St. Bridget's Parish in Bushwick, Brooklyn, ever, ever since. I got tired of going to court, right, and being told I wasn't a lawyer. So you can't speak. You can't do anything. You can't negotiate with your client for a sentence because you're not a lawyer. District 3 Youth and Adult Centre is a safe and brave space for immigrants who come for assistance with their legal status in the United States. These days, most are Spanish-speaking, a migration from south of the U.S. border that began several decades ago, flowing out from under the remnants of Spanish Empire, and one which is changing the ever-changing American demographic landscape. Because absorbing change has defined the United States from the beginning and shows its greatest strength, the ability to adapt. This is something Father Kelly implicitly understands. It is difficult to overstate just how loved Father Kelly is among the legions of people he has helped. Of course, he is well known in New York's Irish community. And yet, while he is one of a dwindling number of native Irish priests who could give an invocation at, ironically, an increasing number of Irish events around town, or say mass for the members of an Irish association, many Irish are unaware of the true extent of his lifetime of work which he has primarily carried out among the non-Irish of this city. 
but in an underground, word-of-mouth sense, he is legend. More than once I have chatted with the taxi driver on a ride home late at night, only to discover Father Kelly has helped him and his family. People hear of him and seek him out. Over time, the centre of gravity of the communities he has assisted, both in his religious ministry and in his fieldwork, has shifted from Italians to African Americans to Ecuadorians to the Central Americans in the present day, with a healthy sprinkling of Irish throughout the years, naturally. An octogenarian, he shows little sign of stepping away from the Christian task of trying to make the world a better place. And as we shall hear, he is a scholarly, learned man, with a soaring altar voice that is Bushwick's gain and Hollywood's loss. Well, I was born in a place called Adair in County Limerick, Ireland, a beautiful village and renowned in story and in poetry, particularly in the poem by Gerald Griffin, which is called Oh Sweet Adair, and anybody from Adair who is listening will recognize this verse. O sweet Adair, O lovely vale, O soft retreat of sylvan splendor, where summer sun nor winter gale ere hail the scene more softly tender. As I mentioned, that will be very familiar with those who come from Adair. My father worked in a place called Fort Union, which was Lord Dunraven's or Lord Adair's famous studs. So Adair was well known for its uh, horse breeding, okay? so that we were familiar with the uh, English race tracks because many of the uh, the horses from Adair wound up naturally on the tracks and in the races in Great Britain. They're on their starters orders, and they're off. And they're on first time to a pretty good break with 22 fences to jump and three and a quarter miles to go. And the first to go on, it's all very fine. On the inside, shows ahead of Hankia, three counties on Kelly's honor. That's the first four as they jump fence number one. All safely over that and racing up now towards the second with Hankia on the stand. There were six of us. Uh, there's two of them are dead now. My sister immigrated to London, so I have nephews and nieces in London. A lot of family and friends in Limerick, in Limerick City itself. And we were second generation or third generation in the Adair. We lived in a place called Church View. We lived straight across the street from the church. And I went to the Christian Brothers School which is no longer there. And my brothers went there, of course, too, and the girls went to the convent, which was, as I said, just across the street. So those were very happy days. A quick mention is required at this juncture for our global audience of the ancient Irish game of hurling. The sport is older than the recorded history of Ireland itself, predating Christianity. It is impossible to do justice to the speed and skill and daring of the game. For this, we suggest taking time to view a video or two on YouTube to fully get a sense of it. Hurling is the men's game. There is a similar and very popular game played by the ladies called Komogi. All this is worth noting because hurling takes up a huge part of Father Kelly's heart, especially when it comes to the successes of teams from his native county Limerick. The slither is flying in. It's dropping inside the large rectangle. Limerick have it. We come forward. The referee blows the punch. That was home. 
Limerick are the All-Ireland champions 2018. Galway have been stopped at the very end, right at the wire. The banks of the Shannon are overflowing. Dolores O'Reardon of the Cranberries, one of my favourite artists, wherever you are now, you must be smiling. Your county has produced one of the sensational championship journeys of all time. During my years in school, in the Christian Brothers in Adair, we had a very good hurling team, and that's one of the highlights of my career was being a member of the Limerick Leader Cup. We won the Leader Cup in the 1950s sometime. So that was the highlight of my career until Limerick won the All-Ireland, of course, in 2018. From A to B, Adair to Bushwick, let's have Father Kelly tell us of the arc of this journey. I went on to study in theology and philosophy in St. John's College in Waterford, and then I was transferred, or I transferred to Rome for the Diocese of Brooklyn, and I was ordained on the 8th of May, 1960, in the Church of San Marcello in Rome. And after that, I returned to Ireland for a little bit, and finally arrived in Brooklyn at the parish of St. Bridget, where I have been ever since. So I have completed more than 60 years as a priest, pastor, and resident of St. Bridget's Parish, which is in the Bushwick, Ridgewood area of Brooklyn and Queens. It's part of the Diocese of Brooklyn. And the reason he opted for the priesthood, at an early age no less, Choosing a lifetime of service, devotion, and sacrifice? Surprisingly, the answer is delivered matter-of-factly. It's very hard to uh, explain how one answers the call to priesthood. Well, I was very young because I was ordained when I was 22, which was extraordinarily young. And I'm not, I don't have any clear recollection of some kind of a divine inspiration. I didn't have any experiences of that nature at all, right? No epiphany, no. <laughs> no. I was just a regular kid, you know. I never regretted it. I am sure I was influenced by the priests in my parish, particularly by the curate. His name was Father Casey. Father Kelly, natural-born priest. By the by, Father Casey is not to be confused with Bishop Casey, who we'll hear more about later. So, I spent two years in St. John's in Waterford. That was a, a seminary as well, run by the Diocese of Waterford. And then, to study theology, I had to move on, and that, that's when I went to Rome. So, I spent uh, the last few years of my student days in Rome, and I was ordained in 1960, in the, as I mentioned, in the Church of San Marcello. And how is it that you came to be a priest in Brooklyn? Well, what happened was, you see, when I was in St. John's in Waterford, I had to make a choice. You have to declare for a diocese. Well, I had no diocese. And certainly they didn't want me in Limerick. They didn't need me in Limerick in those days, right? So I was looking for a place to go. But basically what happened was there was an American priest called Father John DeWire 
who used to come to visit Father Casey in Adair, and he suggested, hey, he said, I have a great idea. You know, would you like to go to Rome? And I said, of course I'd love to go to Rome. And he said, well, Diocese of Brooklyn will sponsor you. I said, that's wonderful. I thought they were being extremely generous, but it turns out it was a very, very tiny uh, scholarship, if you want to call it that, right? <laughs> so they were generous, and I was extremely happy to uh, take advantage of their generosity and uh, have a good time, right? So it was nothing very mysterious about it, right? Or nothing very spiritual about it either. It was just practical reality, right? If you want to, if you want to go to Rome, here we've got somebody who will pay for you. Oh, that was important, right? <laughs> Rome was actually. A wonderful experience. I don't know how much studying we did, but we had a good time. A wonderful cultural experience, okay? Uh, the religious experience in Rome, well, you know, it was not uh, that overwhelming. But, I mean, you had hundreds of thousands of years of history, and you had the church there for, you know, all those years. And you had the architecture, and you had uh, all the ceremonies, so and you had St. Peter's, you know, the Basilica, all those things kind of influenced you in terms of what the church was and also its reach. That was an important thing. We got a sense of how extended the church was and how the church embraced the whole world. So Rome was a wonderful experience in that sense. With a glut of priests in the Ireland of his time, no longer the case, of course, young James Kelly knew his only option was, as he called it, the export market. By allowing the Diocese of Brooklyn to fork out for his training in the exciting surroundings of Rome, it was to Brooklyn he had to declare his fealty. No problem, says he, America and more adventures. But why Bushwick, instead of the many Brooklyn Irish parishes where he'd feel right at home? Well, the reason I came to Bushwick was because I spoke Italian. That was the reason I wound up in Bushwick. It was a German parish, okay? And there had been an influx of Italians. And so I spoke Italian. I had learned Italian in Rome, of course. So I was assigned to Bushwick, which always had an Irish pastor. It was never really a big Irish parish. Most of the pastors were Irish. But the congregation was never that Irish, okay? St. Bridget is the other great saint of Ireland, and awareness of her greatness is growing rapidly in these increasingly enlightened times. Her feast day is February 1st, which is timely for this, our February episode. Now, per the Good Father, the parish of St. Bridget's could easily have been a white elephant of sorts. It was a parish established by the diocese to attract Irish rail workers of the 19th century to come and build a community in Bushwick, in an area rapidly turning from farmland to factories amidst the Industrial Revolution. But the marketing ploy of naming the parish for an Irish saint fell flat, as the Irish never settled in Bushwick. Thankfully, the Germans filled in the blanks, and for a time established Bushwick as the beer capital of the northeast, building 14 breweries along a 14-block stretch in Bushwick known as Brewer's Row. Immigration laws changed. The Italians, the Spanish, 
And by the way, now we have a large Polish community, but they don't come to St. Bridget's. But there is in Ridgewood a very powerful, very strong Polish community who have come in more recent years. So that's how I came to St. Bridget's, okay? So let's have a rundown of the changing faces of Bushwick since 1960. I have been pastor here in St. Bridget's since 1977. And in this community, which is now predominantly Hispanic, there is a long history of immigration. We've had immigrants coming here. Two centuries they've been coming, not just one century. When I came here in 1960, they had a lot of knitting mills, okay, which were of German extraction. And we still have traces of the old German breweries here. So St. Bridget's was always an immigrant parish, and today it is more immigrant than ever, and it is almost entirely or exclusively Hispanic. Most of our Hispanics come from Latin America, from Central America, and the majority of them would uh, be natives of Ecuador at the present time. It wasn't always thus because we had a huge influx of immigrants from Sicily here after 1968 when there was an earthquake in Sicily. So we have received generations of Italians, particularly uh, Sicilians, and of course by happenstance, the other group of Italians that came here were the Tyrolians from northern Italy, and they are still here. We have a mass for them every year. So we have a rich heritage in terms of the Italian community, and now we have a very rich heritage and diversity among the Latinos who come here, as I said, mostly from Central America, but in the past were predominantly Ecuadorian. If you're a Catholic, you may have noticed that your priests often get moved on to other parishes just when you're getting used to them. I presume this is a strategy on the part of the church to prevent their operatives from going native. Which leads to my next question for Father Kelly. You've been in one parish all these years. Would you like to speak to that? Well, I mean, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I mean, the, the parish changed around me, remember. When I came, I was saying in every kind of amen, that was German. I didn't know German, you know, but the Germans knew English. So that changed quickly to become Italian, right? All of a sudden, it's a new parish. Then as the Italians moved on, it became another new parish. And we had an influx, first of all, of Puerto Ricans who were not immigrants and technically, they were Spanish speaking. And then we had an influx of South Americans, Latinos, who came into Bushwick. Father Kelly is often referred to by his other title, Monsignor. In Ireland, we don't usually have the title Monsignor. What does that mean? Only God knows. <laughs> I mean, it's a mysterious title, but it's so mysterious that it has now been retrenched. The Vatican has cut back on the number of Monsignors, okay? <laughs> It's an ecclesiastical title that 
doesn't have much meaning. Now, that may offend many of the Monsignors, but I never got the robes. I never purchased them. Now, that was not because I was cheap, but I, it didn't mean anything, you know. Uh, but some priests saw that as a sign of advancement in the church. God knows it wasn't a sign of anything, except you had to buy the uh, the rig out from uh, one of these uh, providers in Rome, you know. It was an expensive proposition. But the bishop did that to reward priests who were working with the people, right? And we were, we were big on social gospel. The message of the church was one of assistance, one of help, and I worked very diligently in that field of endeavor for many, many years. Okay, So it was a social gospel, and the bishop appreciated what we were doing at a time when it wasn't always uh, too well received. Surely someone in his 80s is entitled to tech support from someone not yet 25. Enter his trusted assistant, Princess. She must have called you. I was calling you to check if the phone works. Yeah, but I know it's okay. Here's too recent. So then, yeah, Maureen was probably calling Princess me. Mobile. That was me right now. And potential spam. Then that was like a scam or it's not. Okay, now voicemail. Oh, yeah, you have to clear your voicemail because it gets full pretty quickly. Oh. I had founded two organizations. One was where you are now. It's called District 3 Youth and Adult Center, located at 265 Wyckoff Avenue in the Bushwick area. And this was a program that was set up to advance the cause of young people and of minorities, of black people, of Afro-Americans particularly, in the Bushwick neighborhood where they were not welcome. That was way back then in 1971. And then we had the problems in Bushwick. We had the riots when there was the blackout in Brooklyn, and Bushwick was burning. It became known for the burning of all the buildings and for the looting that took place here. And so we became kind of a, the hot spot for the changes. I said to Belle, my wife, oh, oh, the lights are out, and I think there's going to be hell to pay tonight. Shops were looted. Buildings set ablaze. Shootings plagued some streets. Looting, people running, shots being fired. It all nearly brought New York to its knees. Seems like they've just gone wild. In the end, neighborhoods like Crown Heights and Bushwick were devastated. It took years to recover from the epic upheaval and the overall damage cost over 300 million. The burning of Bushwick was reported on in many newspapers and in many television programs, and there were many, many discussions about the role of the church in the uh, building up of community in these poorer areas. So we were the church of the poor and the church of the immigrant. Regrettably, many are undocumented. And so that is part of our mission. Actually, it's a major part of our mission here in this particular office to provide services to these new immigrants that gives them the opportunity to participate in the life of these communities. So now, 
it, you're welcome to come here for any kind of services in immigration. Our staff is thoroughly bilingual and is anxious to help. We formed another group called New Life Child Development Center, which built a daycare center, which now has five daycare centers. The role of the church in promoting social gospel and pro social development and social justice was not a very popular part of the work of the church in these, what we call them then, inner city areas, okay? So I worked very diligently, first of all, before I got a law degree in helping these young people who were getting into trouble. And then when I got a law degree, I went to court quite a bit. And then as the neighborhood changed, we got more and more immigrants. So I started doing immigration law, although I hadn't studied it, but that's what happened. The immigration problem became overwhelming. And so we wound up as being a church of immigrants. A priest and a lawyer, who does that? And why? The reason for that was simply I got tired of going to court, right, and being told I wasn't a lawyer. So you can't speak. You can't do anything. You can't negotiate with your client for a sentence because you're not a lawyer. So I said, oh, God, this is crazy. I said, I'm as smart now as I was before I went to law school, right? But if you go to law school and you have a law degree, well, then, of course, you have the credentials. You're the same person. I'm not more intelligent because I got a law degree. I may have more knowledge, but basically I'm the same person. I'm not doing anything that I wasn't doing before I got a law. So I did represent a lot of youngsters and those who would be at risk, okay? And as I said, that only prepared me for uh, the future when I would be representing immigrants, okay? And that was a whole different world, a different legal system. I went to St. John's University at night. Okay, passed the bar 1981. I graduated in 19, in 1980. There's a sign up there. I forget exactly what it was. Okay, and then I was admitted to the federal bar later on. I use that for immigration because immigration is not done in the in the local court. There's a special immigration court. Okay, and I'm still practicing that. But at the present time, there are the courts are all suspended. Let's take a quick break now for a word from our friends at the Celtic Irish American Academy in Galway. Celtic Irish American Academy is a two-week summer program that takes place in Salt Hill, Galway each July. High school students from a variety of states have attended our last four programs. It helps them to gain a deep appreciation of their Irish culture and heritage and also to become more globally aware young citizens. Students stay with host families in the seaside village, attend classes in St. Davis College, and enjoy a variety of traditional activities and excursions. My name is Brian Fagg, Director of the Academy. If you are interested in your children or grandchildren attending, please contact us through our website. And that website is CelticIrishAmericanAcademy.com. And now, back to the life and times of Monsignor James Kelly. Immigration is mostly dealing with people who have orders of deportation or who are here illegally or who were stopped at the border. You know, that's what we have to do for them now. And we're hoping that we will have a more benign future for the immigrants 
who are suffering, who are crying out for help, and whom the church has helped very much. The church has been a champion of the rights of immigrants and, of course, at the same time, has provided services for the immigrants. So that's a very positive part of our mission here. Our citizenship program has been very successful over the years, but now, because of the virus, we cannot have the classes like we had them in the past. But we have hundreds of people passed. Oh, I remember 400 Italians passing the citizenship test, okay? So let's hope that it will become more uh, reasonable, more practical in the future, that there many more people will be able to take advantage of the benefits of American citizenship. We do help families whose children are um, arrested at the border and then they're sent to one of these institutions. The church has been an outspoken voice for justice and for concern and for generosity toward immigrants. Please help them, you know. And the new president of the United States, Joe Biden, Will he make life easier for Father Kelly's clients at the District 3 Youth and Adult Center? Well, we see right now we, we haven't got the details of the Biden plan. We're a little bit concerned about that. They are making rather generous promises and telling us it's going to be this, it's going to be that, but we haven't got the actual uh, letter of the law. We do not have the uh, language yet that will be, help us to be able to help so many people who are now in limbo is the proper term. And I'm just reading in the paper today that there are so many in limbo, it may take years to recover, not just because of Trump, but also because of the, the virus. Gentrification has transformed large swaths of Brooklyn in the last 10 to 20 years. Bushwick was once a no-go area when everyone there was poor, no more. Bushwick was rebuilt by the city, but it was a very poor and desolate and troubled area in those days. And now, as you can see, it's it's rather trendy. People say, oh, Bushwick, yes, okay. House prices tumbled here, they went to nothing. Now they've gone way up again. So people come and say, my God, I sold my house for 50,000, now it's worth 500. That is a constant complaint from people who stop by to tell me that they're sorry now they sold their house. But, you know, right now, Bushwick is very trendy. And unfortunately, the new immigrants cannot afford the um, rents that they are charging in this neighborhood. And the other problem is the new immigrants are not finding employment that easily. In fact, Bushwick's newly acquired trendiness has even attracted a small number of recent Irish immigrants. But James Kelly of Adair County Limerick is a priest, so there is another dimension to his mission, beyond the worldly needs of his community. The well-being of souls is in his brief too. We had a very extensive uh, religious education program. In the in St. Bridget's School in the 1970s, we had 2,600 kids. We now have 250. It was so big, it was the largest educational establishment in the neighborhood. And so 
that changed to as the nuns began to leave and uh, it became be more expensive catholic education became very expensive and the new arrivals who didn't have the benefit of a free catholic education obviously not only did not enroll in catholic schools they enrolled in the public schools and now they're enrolling in charter schools so Times have changed, right? But the mission of the church is still the same, to proclaim the good news and to bring justice to the poor. All these things that you've heard so many times, that is what St. Bridget's Parish is all about. The extent of hypnotic conservative Christian fervor in a country with such a breathtaking track record for innovation often comes as a surprise to visitors to the U.S., but religion isn't going away any time soon here. The question is, where is it going? Uh, right now, I don't know what's happening with evangelism because they seem to have gone so far to the right that they're not expressing what we would call the traditional Catholic point of view. The only area where they seem to be in line with the Catholic Church is on abortion. That seems to be their, you know, their the focus of all their attention. They don't seem to worry about anything else. We have an evangelical streak in the Catholic Church, and you have a lot of people in the Catholic Church who don't like the Pope, Pope Francis. They feel he's too liberal, you know. <laughs> Please, you know, he is a good man. I mean, they can't, they're not going to say he's a bad man, but uh, there's a lot of flack. Have you seen that in the papers? And what about the elephant in the sacristy? I just found out this year that the Irish College in Rome has closed its doors to uh, seminarians. It still has facilities for postgraduate students. It has not moved or anything, but because of the lack of vocations and the shortage of seminarians, the college is no longer functioning as it did in my time. The church has to reassess its attitude toward the celibacy of the clergy. I'm not against celibacy, but I'm saying that there must be a way in which we can have more priests, okay, male or female, but we have to have an outreach to the community, all right? Father Kelly knows that his church, despite its good intentions and good works, has not always gotten it right, and neither have the Irish. I would say the church has a good record in terms of civil rights. Not a perfect record by any means, okay? No, no. Among the Irish congregations, there was racism. There's no doubt about that. Something we should be proud of, but we can't deny the reality that in the South, uh, the Irish priest that I knew went along with the, the segregation. I remember going to Florida not so long time ago, and I always remember, I like to go to the, the, the Greyhound track, there was coloreds only and then whites only. I mean, they had two separate entrances. I never forget it. In Miami, I, I couldn't believe this was 62 or 63. You know, that this existed. First of all, it was incredible. Right? And secondly, it was intolerable. Right? And thirdly, it was, you know, nobody seemed to be upset. So there is a lot. The church doesn't have a clean record in terms of uh, segregation and desegregation. But there is hope. As Catholics and as church, we have to respect all God's children and bring the gospel message of love and compassion and, and justice, okay? 
to all of God's children. So that's a big challenge for the Catholic Church. And you've seen recently how they have apologized for their past errors. We have to be institutionally aware of our history and of our responsibilities. So uh, there are many challenges, but in the meantime, we can hope and pray for the best. Eamon Casey was the Bishop of Galway in Ireland when he resigned amid controversy in 1992. This was before news travelled at internet speed, so it was a big surprise to many, like myself, who had grown up in the west of Ireland, to see his face splashed on the cover of a popular New York tabloid one fine morning. Eamon Casey was a larger-than-life and popular public figure in Ireland. No doubt he caused deep hurt to many in the actions that eventually led to his fall from grace. We won't go into the full story here. You can look all that up these days, nor sit in judgment, but suffice to say there were other, better sides to Casey. Nevertheless, his travails involved multiple court cases and settlements, which is where Father Kelly comes in. Bishop Casey, I was his lawyer here in the United States, right? And I was involved with him when he moved to Ecuador. And I have two stories about Casey. Uh, he was from Adair, you know. And the negative story is that when I was home talking about him last year, somebody said, I should he never played hurling. So that was not a very positive reaction, okay? But the other one was when he was in trouble up to his neck and he was invited by the St. James Society to go to Quito in Ecuador to address the clergy. And when he got up to speak, apparently he was he was motioned to step aside because word had just come down from Rome that he was not allowed to speak in these public engagements. So Casey got up and said, oh, they said I couldn't talk, but they didn't say I couldn't sing. And he launched into Danny Boy. <laughs> That was my vision of Casey, you know. This is the kind of man that he was. Casey was constantly hounded by the press when in New York. The rectory at St. Bridget's afforded him sanctuary, courtesy of Father Kelly. Oh, yeah, they tried to get him, yes. The News of the World offered me money. You know, if I were to cooperate with them, right? St. Bridget's uh, was a safe haven for him in that it wasn't an Irish neighborhood, you know, and there would be very little publicity. In other words, people in St. Bridget's were not aware at all of what's going on in Ireland, and it, it wouldn't have meant anything to them. I wouldn't know who he was to begin with, right? Monsignor Kelly is a polyglot, but before you cast the next stone at the Catholic Church, this simply means he can speak multiple languages fluently. Through speaking the language of his clients, Italian and now Spanish, he has built deep, trusting connections with those in need. In Italiano, abbiamo l'ufficio che sta aperto ogni giorno per aiutare la gente. In Spagnol, estamos abiertos para atender con cita de lunes a viernes. E assistimos con la ciudadanía, la renovación de la residencia, las peticiones de novios, el justo de estados, 
certificado de ciudadanía para hijos de ciudadanos. Entonces puede llamarnos. ¿Tiene el número? Se no sabe el número. El número es muy simple. Uh, 929-210-0202. Llamarnos. Italiano. Oh Padre que ci hai nutrito con la abbondanza dei tuoi sandoni, saciaci con il tuo amore, tu che vivi e regni nei secoli dei secoli. Let's take another break now to tell you about a great event coming up on St. Patrick's Day. Hi, I'm Bill Riley, the founder of Sober St. Patrick's Day. This year is our 10th anniversary. We have world-class talent. Log on to our website at SoberStPatrick'sDay.org. We go out at four o'clock on March 17th. It's free this year. All you got to do is put your name and your email at SoberStPatrick'sDay.org. It's going to be dynamite. Probably the most important event since St. Patrick's Day parades started. something that we could do with the kids that wasn't you know crazy and uh as soon as we heard about this week we got our tickets like this is what i've been looking for it's gotten bigger and better and it's it's taking over the country they have finally come around and created an event that everybody can celebrate the real meaning of saint patrick's day without having to get intoxicated i think this is just the most amazing initiative that could possibly happen this is something that i would have dreamed about for years And back we go again for more pearls of wisdom from Father Kelly. The Irish in New York. Just the Irish in New York. Without, yeah. <laughs> when I came here in 1960, the Irish were running the show and I enjoyed it. I had no problem with that, right? Now we're completely, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say gone completely, but we're completely uh, out of, out of the, uh, the running. In other words, we're not really players anymore in New York City. We do still have a presence in the uh, the press and on television and that, you know, and uh, on the national level maybe, right? But certainly in New York City, you know, first of all, you have hardly any Irish elected officials. Irish Catholic, you know, was uh, a combination that was very powerful in the past. I remember Tom Cute when he was in charge of the city council giving me a ride home, you know. <laughs> in a city car, right? <laughs> Those days are gone, right? In the March 9th, 1997 edition of the New York Daily News, journalist Patrick Farley labelled Father Kelly the Padre for the Poor. Here are the thoughts of Richard, another of his helpers and brother to Princess. Father Kelly is a role model and just an exemplary member of the vast community we have here in Bushwick. We are all family in his eye, no matter that we may not share the same background. Estamos agradecidos por todos sus años de servicio a la comunidad. El Padre ha dado su vida para la comunidad y estaremos siempre en deuda a él. Es un santo en una persona y agradecemos su continua dedicación a la comunidad, especialmente a nosotros los inmigrantes.
There's so many bad things happening. We don't have. I don't want to dwell on <laughs> on the bad things that have happened, right? The good things, though, I can talk to you about, right? One of the best things that happened to me, all right? Limerick winning the All Ireland in 2018, right? I mean, that was a huge event, okay? It should be noted that Father Kelly attended this game in person at Croke Park in Dublin, having secured his ticket through the New York Irish grapevine. And the party we had in New York after that, I, I won't get into that, but we did. I was at Rosie O'Grady's, I gave the invocation. Being ordained in Rome and meeting with the Pope, those are two big things. But the Limerick Leader Cup would have been my, <laughs> as a kid, and as a young person, this was my crowning achievement, all right? I can't get away from, uh, you know, what do they say? The savage loves his native shore. <laughs> I didn't even know there were any other games, by the way, you know. It was a foreign games rule. We weren't supposed to play soccer or rugby. We didn't even know that it existed, although we were only 12 miles from Limerick, which had a great history of proletarian rugby, all right? And always had soccer teams. But in Adair, we lived in isolation, and the only game we knew, we didn't even know about Gaelic football, the only game we knew was hurling, all right? Hurling may be an obsession or a disease, right? I still have a hurley that I brought with me in 1960. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Centerpiece NY with Paul Finnegan, your presenter and producer. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can leave a review for us there, or a rating, we'd appreciate that. Be sure to keep in touch on social media at Centerpiece NY. That's C-E-N-T-E-R-P-I-E-C-E-N-Y. You can also find our podcast at centerpieceny.com. You can email us at centerpieceny at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our interview with Monsignor Kelly was conducted in February 2021 at the desk of the chief executive himself in the corner office with its protective plexiglass barriers, exercising all social distancing and safety protocols, including face masks.